This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey Brewers fans, welcome to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. I'm Brad Ford, social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm joined as always by the mystical Tim Dillard and the inspirational Adam McAlvey. Guys, we're working on Monday, and it's a much, much needed off day for the Brew Crew, right Adam? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you never want to like say you know what's going on in guys' heads when you're just looking at them, but being in the clubhouse, let's just say it was quiet the last couple of days, and that's because of the results and because everybody's just exhausted. And look, we'll talk about the injuries, I'm sure. Everybody knows about all the IL moves and everything, but that is like Tim knows about this better too. I always say that. Tim knows it. There's like the guys who are playing are also hobbling pretty good. And, you know, Colton Wong's one of them who we talked to yesterday. He's got that. He got smoked in the calf at Wrigley Field. His legs started shutting down. That that leg, right leg, is all messed up. And he's been playing on it. And he hit two home runs on Sunday. So everybody, I think, was ready for a day off. Yeah, Tim, I guess when you're going through a stretch like this where both you're playing through injuries and the roster's stretched, how much as a group of players are you just looking at the calendar in anticipation of a day like today? Well, I think mentally, guys, you know, you get drained. You get drained and your body, you tell your body, I can still go out there and play, right? Like you're like, oh, I feel great, Mm -hmm. but you're just not as quick. Your reaction time is just not as quick. Um, And and I don't know. I just, I think there's times where guys just need to turn their brain off, you know, and it's hard to do that when you're playing 18 games in 17 days, Um, especially with, you know, they're shorthanded guys keep falling by the wayside and um, it, it's hard to keep that enthusiasm up, but, uh, yeah, everybody needs an off day, right? Like that's pretty right. universal, but for the brewers, I, feel I like do. They... I mean, I did like seven in a row here, man. I'm gassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look at the Cardinals, the Cardinals played something similar to that. It was like 16 games in a row or something like that. And then they had an off day split against the brewers and then swept the Padres. So, um, and now they're at Wrigley field doing whatever they're doing against the Cubs. So. Uh, you, you know, you don't really know how you're going to react, but nobody says no to an off day. They And I think the Brewers should, you know, do nothing today and just relax. And thank God that Craig Council doesn't have to answer any questions today. <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy for him. Well, well, you guys heard it here first. If the Brewers had an off day heading into the San Diego series, if that Thursday was an off day instead of a game day, they would have swept them. So now... Now you know how that would have gone. Well, and I just want to add one thing, too, because everybody said this, and I think it's important, and I don't think it was just words. Like, every team has stretches like this. So nobody was saying, like, feel sorry for us, or this is why we lost three or four to the Padres. Nobody was making excuses for the long stretch of games or the fact that they're missing so much of their team that they called up a catcher from A-ball, which I 
chalk up uh, to never seen that before category. So nobody was like making excuses, but, but I think it's just the reality that this was a extremely, extremely tired team the last couple of days. And, and as we said, undermanned because well, of losses, personnel losses. Yeah. I, I, I will say, yeah, it's the exact same thing. Every team goes through this. I don't think anybody's trying to say, well, this is the reason that yeah. we, no, but, but we're recognizing that this is that brewer stretch. Like this is, you know, they come off a hard, you know, long road trip, go right into a, you know, a homestand. There's no off days like that. And, and you have double header mixed in there. Like, this is just their stretch. It's not going to be next month. They're not going to have another stretch like that in the next month, the next month. This is one of those special moments that every team has at least once a year, and we just have to recognize it. And, of course, the Brewers are doing the right thing by going, no, no, it's not that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a combination of the injuries and just that, that stretch of games. It was just like the perfect worst storm for the Brewers at that moment. And you know what? And they still did pretty well through it. 9-9 nine and nine during that 18 games in 17 days, which – could have been better because they, they, you know, they lost the last three, but could have been worse. Could have been worse. Yeah. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. You know what? We're going to take a little pause from the, what has happened to the Brewers talk, especially with the injuries and the cold streak, because I think, you know, fans deserve a little something good. And you know, what's good. Brent Suter, <laughs> who has a new book that's coming out. I think it's out now. The Binky Bandit. So we're going to talk to Brent about the Binky Bandit. We're going to talk to him about the environmental impact he has, about what makes Brent Suter Suter and how he keeps morale high in the clubhouse. So let's get to our interview with Brent Suter. Tim and I are here with a man who is the longest tenured member player in the Brewers organization because Lorenzo Cain loses credit for going off to win the World Series in Kansas City. He was born... Shame on him. <laughs> He was born in Chicago, which, frankly, I did not know until I did my in-depth research uh, to begin this thing, along with such greats as Kirby Puckett, Fred Lynn, and Ricky Henderson, which I also did not know that Ricky Henderson hails from Chicago. He grew up in Cincinnati. I'm wearing my Rheingeist T-shirt because nice. it's my favorite place on the planet. Mm-hmm. And he is Brent Suter, the left-handed pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Hi, Brent. Hello. How are you guys doing? Thanks for doing this. We we very much appreciate it. Uh, Tim was excited to have his favorite former teammate on the pod. <laughs> first player. First player we've had on the pod, correct? We debated, like, as we were going into this, who do we, you know, who should we try to get? And it makes sense, I think, to have, like, the guy who's been in the organization longest be the first one. So we, thanks for doing it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is great. So we should start with... Um, I think people have probably heard by now that you are an author. Um, and I, I think we should start there because it's the most important thing. As Tim shows off his uh, Binky Bandit. The Binky Bandit, it's a children's book. Um, I'm not even mad that it's pushing the Milwaukee Brewers at 50 off the shelves at the team store at American <laughs> Family Field. Not even a little bit mad about that because, um, it, Brent, it's awesome. It, it really is. And, I, I mean, I'm not just saying that because you agree to come on the pod. It, it's great. Can, can you – let's start by just – without giving away the whole plot because people need to go out and purchase this thing. What's the, what's the idea behind this? Yeah. Um, it's a kid's book with an environmental message on it. Uh, so it's about my dog Wally and he is tendency to crush Liam's binkies or, you know, the, uh, when he was younger. And so, uh, he has this change of heart. Uh, he thinks about the guilt of his you know family damage and also the environmental damage he's doing. 
and uh, eventually tries to overcome that that kind of alter ego that, uh, that we call the Binky Bandit in the story, and uh, eventually kind of uh, makes makes some amends and changes his behavior, and just trying to uh, send some awareness both of like family bonds, the importance of family bonds, and the importance of uh, you know environmental you know consequences of our actions, and uh, trying to prevent you know further damage to the environment. How how true is this story? It is completely true, except I don't know about uh, Wally's like inner workings of his brain. So like, you don't have yeah. conversations about so environmental issues with the, your dog. No, he yeah. can't. He can't talk real well, but he barks really well. Uh, he can't talk, but uh, he did actually stop, you know, crushing binkies. Maybe it was kind of a combination of Liam using it less and you know Wally kind of shedding that, you know, like realizing we were getting mad at him every time. Uh, but every time we got mad at him, we were kind of laughing to ourselves, like, why is he so obsessed with these binkies? He'd like, we'd be walking around with him in his mouth, just like around the house. And we're like, Wally, drop it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. Snap a photo. Well, where, where, where was the first moment? Was it you or your wife, Aaron, that was like, we need to put this in book form? Um, I think I did. I just said, uh, I was reading kids books to Liam and I was like, maybe I could write like a more personal thing that could maybe last a little longer than some of these kids books uh, that we were reading to him. And so I uh, decided to just write a little poem story thing about it. And, um, you know, I, I just mentioned it in a Milwaukee Magazine article because they asked, like, what kind of books do I read to Liam? And I was like, well, read this one I, I wrote to him. Um, and the, a publishing company just outside of Milwaukee reached out and said, hey, we want to read this book. And so I sent it to them and they're like, Hey, we want to publish this book. And I was like, sweet. That's you know what awesome. I mean? That was, yeah. that's pretty cool. So yeah, you fast forward a year and a half later and here we are. Orange hat publishing. Let's name them because it's, it's yes. great. And like, look, Brent, I, I love the, the thing I love about it is that, you know, it, I don't know. Did you have an age range that you were going for in this? Because the story, it could be very young kids could get a kick out of this, but yeah, but the um, end of it, let me, the, the thing I like is that at the end, there's stuff for older kids, I think, because there's like almost like a little, there's a couple of pages, a little workshop at the end. Right. So I think that maybe like the older siblings can get involved in it too. I, I think that's a really cool part of it. Yeah, absolutely. We, our target, we, we, we wanted as many kids to be able to read it uh, and enjoy it as possible. So really like two to 11, you know, we yeah. were looking at as the age range, kind of a wide range there. But um, yeah, it's like around a little less than 500 words, I think. So a little bit longer, but not not crazy long and enough, you know, a good bedtime story to read to kids from hopefully all ages. It's and, probably like uh, Legos, like Legos, right? Zero to 99. Like, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Anybody that falls in between that. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I like it at the end. I just looked a while ago and saw, am I allowed to say the, did you know part? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, number three, how many dinosaurs can you find throughout the book? Did you know <laughs> Did you know Brett Suter has a nickname for his famous raptor impression? The raptor. That's awesome. Yep. And I actually did know that. I did know that you had a nickname, the raptor. So you actually anyway, you that wasn't really that a nickname. Uh, yeah, 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 you know that's what Tim's going for here. You he invented the, that nickname. 100%. I, well, I don't know if I got I get credit for it, but I'm glad I'm the first one. I feel honored by that if that's if it's true. Yeah. It's so true. so yeah. Tim, is it really like as simple as you watching Brent run? That, that's the story I've always heard. Yeah, uh, probably 2000. I don't know. I watched it in 2014. So, I mean, over the years, I just, I think it didn't come to fruition until maybe 15 when we started shooting videos. <laughs> right. And we were <laughs> like, let's do a Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was the end of it. And everybody just kept laughing at it. So it's like, that's hilarious. So there's actually one spring training where Suter's in like seven videos in the background, just being the Raptor. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Brent, you have like the best highlights too. <laughs> like for, yeah, 
the uh, when uh, Adrian Hauser took a little caught a spike and took a tumble. I saw the pitching ninja did a side by side of the mechanics of the the mound right. tumble. You've got that the what the dive or tumble to first base in a game. Yeah, how do you rack right. up these incredible highlights? I don't know. There was a time there. It seemed like every other outing, something crazy was happening, either like a liner off me or like a goofy play or running into a rail. So it was, it's been a uh, really highlight worthy year this year for sure. And not in all good ways at all. But uh, yeah, I just, I try to, you know, play the game hard and sometimes crazy stuff happens, um, good and bad, you know what I mean? When you're going hard. So uh, it's, it's one of those things. And I loved how Hauser still threw the ball. It was hilarious. Like he still got <laughs> yeah. managed. Like that was pretty good athleticism. Like he was all kinds of bad position. I didn't even get a chance to get the, the throw off when I fell down like that. Like my leg just gave out, but he just, he still threw the ball and Vic picked it. On Matt, you know, it was a, an amazing pick as well. So it was really kind of cool play. Yeah, I was in the press box and I was like, I've thrown worse pitches on my feet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Brett, one more book picture because uh, oh. the illustrations are really cool. Yeah. How, how, what's the process like when you're writing a children's book to pair up with the right person? And, you know, we're, we're, how much did you ha- how much say did you have in how you look? Because I noticed in the first picture, your cheekbones are very, you know, they did a nice job with your <laughs> cheekbones. They made you pretty good looking in the book. And very I'm wondering if that's your, uh, yeah, your input. <laughs> uh, you know what? The publishing company did all the legwork on that. Uh, they kind of sought. You know, read the story, got the feel for it, and then picked out the right illustrator and um, you know showed me some of her work. And I was like, she's she looks awesome. Like this this is amazing. So uh, we kind of had a really good couple meetings, kind of going through what I was seeing on the illustrations and what she was seeing and uh, story layout, story layout and everything. And then uh, she came came back with the you know black and white you know tracings of it. And I was like, oh my goodness, these are awesome. You know what I mean? Like she did an amazing job, and then she colored it perfectly and. Uh, she just did an amazing job. She's a local uh, art student at uh, Marquette, and she just did a wonderful job. Is it going to be really cool when people start coming to games and they're wanting you to sign it? Have yeah. you thought about that? Have you signed one? Has anybody asked you to sign one besides you? I got a signed one. Mine, but, I got a signed well, one. It's I mean, great like, for my friend's that kids. Buys it, brings it oh, to I the see. game and has you sign it. I feel like that'd be a really cool moment. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, I, yeah, I'd totally be down to sign that too, for sure. Um, I, yeah, I've been signing you know copies for friends and family so far, and then um, I'm signing a bunch for the uh, the launch. Or I'm I've signed a bunch for the launch that uh, on Monday, you know, at the American Family Field, and uh, so yeah, <laughs> doing that. And uh, I think I'm signing close to a thousand of those. So wow, uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I think I signed a, close to a thousand. So uh, crazy, crazy amount of excitement. I we I was hoping for a hundred RSVPs of this uh, the launch event, and we ended up getting five hundred. You know what I mean? That's like, awesome. In, in a matter of minutes. So it was really, really cool uh, turnout, and um, I'm I'm glad it was awesome. Well, Brent, I give you credit for picking a non-pandemic year. Uh, that's debatable, I suppose, at this point. But right. when the Milwaukee Brewers at 50, <clears throat> I'll mention that again, came out in 2020, it was a little tougher to do events. And that was the biggest bummer for me because the feedback is so fun to get where people see something and like it. Um, right. And it was such a bummer to not be able to share it with people. And I'll tell you the moment right. I remember most, because this was the first time I'd done it too, was when that box comes with the books where you get to mm-hmm. like hold it for the first time mm-hmm. is the coolest feeling. And I'm wondering yeah. if that was the same for you. Absolutely. Yeah. They, uh, the publisher met me at a, a kind of a engagement reading event a couple, um, several months ago. 
and brought me a bunch of books, uh, a couple of which you guys got, you know, signed copies. But yeah, being able to hold it and then bring it home and see Liam's reaction to it was so cool. You know what I mean? It was like, he was like, Daddy, that's you. You're like, this is us. Like, it was it was really cool. Um, so that yeah, definitely a special moment here as well. That's awesome. I actually asked my kids that, you know, I was like, hey, I'm going to interview Brent Suter. What do you want me to say to him? <laughs> and my son, Brooke, said, ask him if he remembers us running in the superhero race back in Huntsville in 2014. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you forget that? that? How do you yeah. forget? Yeah. Never yeah. Forget so anyway, that. that was the one question they wanted me to. And, have you, <laughs> yep. and my six-year-old Hayes asked, have you ever batted before? I have. Yep. I have batted many times, actually, uh, as a professional because we started hitting, I think it was in double A, right? We started yeah. hitting um, National League on National League in double A and um, was a starter back then. So I've, I've got quite a few ABs, but great question, Hayes. Great question. Yeah, I'll let well, him know. I mean, you're being modest, right? I mean, I think people will remember one of your major league at-bats, and I think you're being modest by not mentioning it because if I pitched in the big leagues and hit a home run off Corey Kluber, it would be like how I introduced myself. <laughs> like, hi, I'm Adam McKelvey. I hit a homer off Corey Kluber in 2000, whatever year it was. I would change my yeah. middle name to that, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Brent Klubod's in the book suit or something like that. <laughs> well, I think you're such an amazing player because I think people underestimate how good of an athlete you really are. I, I think I have a lot of times, this. yeah, we're talking about, you know, the plays that you're making. You can swing the bat. Uh, the other day, you tried to destroy the the visiting dugout's fence. You tried to run through that. And people were asking me, like, why would he go after that ball and crash into the fence? And I was like, because if there's one person on that could grace that mound and make that catch, it's Brent Suter. Because he's an amazing athlete. Um, talk about being an athlete, maybe sports that you played, and can you reverse dunk? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Um, I can reverse dunk, um, and I I loved just playing as many sports as possible growing up. So I I played basketball all the way through high school, baseball. I loved you know just goofing around with tennis, you know all kind of football, throwing the football around. I played football sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then gave it up to focus on basketball and baseball. Um, but uh, I I did love football as well, and then um, I just loved you know ping pong, like all kinds of pickleball playing playing all kinds of sports. I'm just a big sports fan, like just in general. So uh, I feel like kids growing up, um, if they specialize in one sport too soon, it might inhibit or maybe like they won't re reach their potential for athleticism as, as opposed to doing all kinds of movements, playing all kinds of sports. And even if you play one sport year round, that's fine. But like try to do some other things with your friends, like other sports movements with your friends is what I'd recommend because uh, that's what I did, and it helps. It continues to help me, kind of just different body movements, different body patterns, and staying you know limber and flexible. I love ping. I love ping pong. Yeah, I love uh, racquetball. I love tennis. I have never played pickleball, and I feel like I'm the last person on earth, like who's got on this trend because everybody loves it from like age 12 to 92, zero to 99. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It's like Legos. Yeah, it's it's a fun sport. It's yeah, it's kind of like just you know in between ping pong and tennis you know they got like the wiffle ball-ish ball and hit that around it can be it can be really really fun do you play like in the off season do you get pretty competitive no we i mean i just hit around with liam a little bit um okay. in our in the basement or outside if it's nice enough but uh just just hitting it around don't want to do anything stupid in the off season or anything like that let's just talk we've mentioned him a couple of times liam is your son he is how many years old uh three and a half like the biggest personality ever uh, and now he has a 
uh, he's the older brother now. Yeah. And that yeah, happened in had... season. What was what was the experience of <laughs> you and Aaron having a baby in season? Yeah, three weeks ago, uh, we had little Leighton, and he's he's bundle joy. He's awesome, um, eating like crazy, sleeping pretty well. But uh, the coolest part was bringing him home and seeing Liam's reaction, like being that big brother, and all of a sudden he was like, "Oh, this is sweet! Like I'm going to be the role model kind of thing." It was so cute and awesome. But uh, having in season has been has definitely presented some challenges for sure. Um, but my wife has been superhero, and she says like, "Hey, you get Liam at night, like if he needs something, and I got late and kind of thing." And she kicked, you know, kicked me out of the bedroom and all that, so that we can both try to sleep when the other the kids are sleeping. So, uh, yeah, she's been a superhero about that. But um, it's definitely like, I'll be honest, that those first couple of days back after having the baby and being in the hospital, it was just like, I. I want to be home right now, snuggle my baby. You know what I mean? Like it was, a, there was as much resistance to being at the park as I've ever experienced. So I just had to kind of fight through that, uh, get through that. And then since then it's been a lot better, but, um, it's, it was definitely, uh, there's, there's some difficulties, but just so many blessings with having an in-season baby. I think a lot of times people forget that you guys are humans, right? Yeah, like totally. Baseball yeah. is your job. And then, you know, life doesn't stop just because you're playing baseball. Luckily I had my three in the off season. I don't know how that worked out, but, um, for Great guys, to, yeah, guys, for to do it during the season, um, you go and you get this huge shot of just perspective, right? Like life perspective, it slaps you in the face, and then you go back to baseball, and it's like, okay, this is strange. Like I, for whatever reason, you know, you've you've changed a little bit. Um, how do you feel now? Like you're playing the game. Um, do you feel there's some freedom there at times where you're like, you know what? I can't control everything there is. Right. Cause like I've been on the mound where things don't go my way. And I feel like just this heightened perspective of baseball in life helps me deal with that because sometimes it, baseball doesn't go your way. And then other times it can do nothing but go your way. But how do you deal with that when things don't go your, your, uh, your way? You know, that's a great question. Cause I have felt that freedom. Like I've, I've been failing more on the mound than I ever have probably in my career. Not necessarily bad pitches. All it's been a lot of weak hits and, and stuff Broken like that. But definitely <laughs> could be pitching better for sure. But it's just, it's one of those where I have a piece about it and there's a clear, like, I'm not beating myself up. I'm not doing like, I'm disappointed, but I'm hungry to get better. And I'm, it's clear what I need to get better at. So a lot of, a lot of times in the years past, I would have just beaten myself up, you know, almost relentlessly and just saying, I, oh, I'm not, I don't belong here, blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, okay, the league's responding to me. You know, I mean, the league's, you know, pressing on me, the game's pressing on me a little bit and it's time for me to respond and I need to make some adjustments and it's clear what those adjustments need to be. But uh, definitely having that second child has been like kind of opened up freedom because I've probably been failing more since I had them. But then at the same time, like there's a path forward and there's a, there's a clear clarity about what I need to do here going forward. So uh, it's definitely um, it's a it's a blessing in many many ways. Is that why you pitch fast? You just want to get home to the kids? Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe maybe a little uptick here these last couple of weeks. He was, <laughs> we'll he's been doing that since he was like twenty. Ah, I right, love right. it, Brent. Brent. You know we are we are so full of integrity up in the press box. We would never root for any outcomes, obviously. But man, we do like when you pitch because <laughs> you can uh, honestly, Brent. Sometimes you turn the pace of the game, not just your outing. But I found like the game sometimes changes after you come in and just get it and go. I love Jason Alexander for that in his debut. Oh yeah, I thought he kind of got got it and threw it. Um, yep. I don't. There's some. I'm, I I wish more pitchers did it. Um, yeah. Not that I don't I, love I, being at the ballpark. No, it's not that we don't love it. We, we just want to see you know have the game move. We want um, action. Uh, and I think I mean 
there's probably a pitch clock coming at you know, at some point next year or down the road. But um, from what I've heard in AAA, the guys are saying it's maybe a little fast the pitch clock, but games are flying. There's action like it's it's happening. Two hour games like crazy. It's just like whoa. That I mean that I think fans would like that. Like because what we essentially we want to cater to the fan base and what what fans want to see. And they've been kind of telling us in the polls like they want a little more action or less less dull time between plays and uh, quicker games or if they're longer games, action-packed games. So uh, certainly pitch clock is a potential thing happening here. But for me, it's part of my you know, weaponry. I want to work quick. I want to feel like I'm on the attack, uh, both in pace and in throwing strikes. And uh, when I'm, when it's going well, it's good. But so there are sometimes I definitely need to take a breath and, and slow it down after like you know two bad pitches in a row or whatever. Well, Brent, was that always your pace? Was it, I'm, I'm sorry, Tim. I, no, I was no just going to, just to follow up on the pace. Was that, were you, yeah. as a kid, were you like that fast? Or did you develop this as part of your professional arsenal? It was probably in college um, that I developed kind of going a little bit faster. Uh, and definitely senior year, our, our coach was very encouraging of pitching. You know, he was saying, work quick, throw strikes, attack the zone. Like that was his mentality and bought into that. And in the minor leagues, I was, you know, pretty still like pretty quick but then my teammates were going dude we love how you pitch can you go even quicker you know kind of <laughs> mentality and I was like I'll try it you know what I mean and then started doing that and it's been uh it's been pretty quick but I did see that Wade Miley has me by like 0.5 seconds or something like that in time and time between plays or time between pitches so I sent him a little fun text like hey you, you finally you got me this year so far <laughs> but uh just trying to just trying to be on the attack man that's all that's what it's about well, Suter, I find you to be one of the most fascinating players, teammates I've ever had. Um, wow. I think you know that. I'm pretty open about that. I think I don't really text about a lot of guys or tweet about a lot of guys. But when you uh, when you got called up, I tweeted out, hey, Brewers fans, your favorite player ever just got called up and you don't even know it yet. Um, because you do bring such an energy, whether you're in the bullpen or in the dugout or on the mound, people know they have to be ready. They're, they're trying to do everything they can, but with that aggression comes just, just like Hauser. I feel like stuff just happens because there's more action. You're making things happen. And if there's more chances to make things happen, sometimes plays don't get made. So when you go out there, I just know that you are competing and there's no one out there that competes harder than you. Um, except when I was playing and we were teammates, but besides, that, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to go back to just when, when you're coming through high school, you're coming through college, you're playing, was there anybody that number one, did you have a coach that you loved that just absolutely encouraged you? And did you have some coaches or teammates or fans that were like, you know what? You're too different. That's not going to work. Um, there were definitely, I mean, both answers. Yes. To both sides, I would say more, more, in terms of the positive and like the in buildups uh, for sure than the other way. But um, definitely my coach, uh, my pitching coach senior year, who was the work quick, throw strike, attack his own guy. He was, he always believed in me and was really good resource because he had played pro ball for years and years, uh, got up to triple A. So he was a really good resource for me, especially the transition to pro ball. So he was such a good buildup uh, guy, John Burtwell. And uh, he's, he's a great friend, but um, definitely there were, I remember, um, Elvin Nina, who was my rookie ball pitching coach, was he was a really he didn't detract me or kind of he he wasn't the kind of kind of pull me down, but he was definitely challenging and like, hey, you got what it takes to be here, show me kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like you got because I had a tough outing, my second outing. He's like, what got you here? Show me that. You know what I mean? Show me that. And so it was a really good challenge. He was he was really challenging to a lot of guys in terms of like made them better. You know what I mean? But like was not this love like. 
daddy, I'm going to hug you. Like, it was like, no, show me. You know what I mean? So he was one of those I remember sticking out as like a really, um, ch- like a good challenging pitching coach for me. And, uh, obviously Chris Hook has been, uh, my pitching coach basically since 2014 and just an unreal pitching coach. Um, and super, you know, we have a great relationship and a super positive guy, and, but he challenges me when I need to be challenged as well too. So we just have a, a great relationship that spans almost a decade here now. So it's been uh, really special. You mentioned college, Brent. I feel like whenever the Brewers play national TV and you pitch, there's like some rule somewhere that the announcers have to say you went to Harvard. <laughs> like, is that in the contract? I, <laughs> they love not, talking not, about the fact. How, no. how, so, okay, let's talk about Harvard so we don't get fined. How did you end up at Harvard? Uh, baseball really is the simple answer. I was kind of not really recruited highly out of high school, believe it or not. Um, but I, uh, because I throw, basically what I was throwing now was what I was throwing in high school. So not a whole lot of looks. But uh, eventually I kind of just reached out to a couple Ivy League schools one day, like randomly in class uh, via email and sent them some videos one a couple of me like dunking a basketball but more pitching than dunking but the harvard coach gets back like hey love the dunking videos you look like an athlete i want to see it you know what i mean and so he sent some scouts down to a showcase a couple weeks later i pitched really well then he's like hey we have a spot open uh come for an official visit and then like a month and a half later i had like the likely letter to go to harvard and i was like i was looking at my parents but when i got the call i was like what just happened? You know what I mean? Like I couldn't go anywhere and now I'm going to Harvard. Like, Were they what? like, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> yeah, that was the second question. You know what I mean? That was the second question. But uh, the first question was like, how in the world? Like, this is crazy. Just kind of felt like one of those really, really lucky, blessed moments. But um, and so I went there, was able to start, you know, basically from my freshman year through my senior year, uh, some ups and downs for sure in my college career. But I uh, was able to get drafted senior year and by the Brewers and still with the Brewers to this day. So it was just a crazy, crazy story of like not many looks right into Harvard baseball, like a dream school for sure. Well, you're, and your scout was a Harvard guy. Yeah. Yeah. The scout who drafted me was a Harvard guy and the GM who called me up Harvard guy, David Stern. So it's been kind of some crazy, uh, cool Harvard baseball connections going the scout on. scout was Stephen Wilson, right? Stephen Wilson. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, first baseman. Yeah. We were yes. Teammates. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember him. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, see, that's yeah. a, I'm, all my deep research, Tim. Tim is really was, good, Brent, on the when we do the pod at, at like really, and I'm being serious, like doing yeah. great research, like into a lot of. He comes up with numbers, like he's very good at this. I don't yeah. know if you knew this, but like, yeah, he's very good at the analyst thing. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm anyway, I'm trying to keep up yeah, with some research. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, okay, here's another, another. I, I said this before about when you were talking about being an athlete, that another thing, Brent, I did not know. Your parents are, like, ridiculously athletic, too. Your, yeah, your they, dad uh, won they a national. Played. Well, t- you yep. tell us, tell us. Well, I was just going to say uh, they met at Penn State, both playing sports there. Uh, my dad played football there for Joe Pond, won a national title, like you were saying, and uh, my mom swam there. So, um, yeah, they definitely have – really good uh athleticism and i was fortunate to get some of those genes for sure but um uh, and but that was more importantly how they raised my brother and i they just were unbelievably loving parents supportive um challenged us when we need to be challenged but just uh they set the bar and we knew what the bar was and um always were there for us so couldn't have ha- couldn't have had a better family life growing up and obviously they come to the games all the time they're super supportive to this day and great grandparents as well. Uh, so it's, it's really been a blessing to have my parents and my brother in my life. 
Well, it sounds like it's really cool. You come from the athletic background. Um, I always encourage my kids to play team sport so they can learn mm-hmm. what it's like to be a part of a, you know, a team, regardless if they play professional sports in the future, I want them to be able to function in, you know, a society of, okay, if they're working in an office or wherever they're working, they know how to be teammates with other people. Um, mm-hmm. You are a fantastic teammate. What what are some things that you do in the clubhouse to just, you know, push that chemistry forward uh, with your teammates? Yeah, um, we have a lot of great teammates in that clubhouse. First of all, since I've been here, too, you you include like Brewers. I don't know what they do in terms of their draft analysis, but it just seems like they draft good people. You know what I mean? Like they got good teammates coming through the system all the time Um, and I just try to I try to be a servant leader for sure. I try to like walk the walk, um, and when when I need to, you know, say say things to teammates, good and bad. You're just like you know, uh, especially like welcoming new people. Like I want to do the, my best to reach out to them before they even step foot in the clubhouse. Say hey, we can't you know, so excited to have you. Can't wait to meet you. Blah, blah blah, and just you know, welcome get get that welcoming presence going before they even step in the clubhouse is a big thing for me. Um, and then in the clubhouse, try to keep it loose. You know, we, we got a job to do. Everyone knows, you know, the big leagues is tough to tough to win games and it's tough, tough to stay in this league, but you got to have some fun along the way. And so just trying to keep guys loose, whether it's, in, you know, in the dugout or just in the, uh, clubhouse, just joking around, singing, dancing, um, when needed, but then when it's time to work. It's time to work. You know what I mean? Pre-game drumming. Pre-game drumming, yeah, that, that's included in there for sure. <laughs> Brent, but, but here's what I like. You, you also, I, I've witnessed you challenge guys a little bit too, and I think some of that yeah. is with, um, you know, the environmental issues that you care so much about. I mean, yep. baseball sometimes is a monolith. I think the, a lot of major league ballplayers kind of come from the same place and think the same way. At least that is the way the game has been thought of for a long time. And maybe that's changing now, and there's more perspectives in the game. And what I yeah. like is you, I've seen you have discussions with guys about all kinds of different topics. Oh, yeah. Um, and not in like a confrontational way, not in like, a, you know, having this big political fight in the in the spring training clubhouse kind of way. But but you right. you're able to like talk about different things, including the environment. And yeah, um, it seems like like I mean, am I right that maybe some of the guys are more open to having conversations like that? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think. um I don't know how other clubhouses operate, but ours for sure, like any topic is up for discussion, um, exchanging ideas more than arguments, but sometimes it gets argumentative, but then like, we know we lo- there's a love there that, you know, we no political issue or whatever is going to get, get in the way of, but um, definitely there's, there's an open openness about our discussions in the clubhouse. We cover basically every topic you can think of in, uh, in, in a really good way. So uh, yeah, I think that's part of it too. Cause when you're getting to know guys just on different level than, you know, Hey, how was food? How are you feeling today? You know, how's the wing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, if you're, if you're getting to know guys on, on different levels, I think it can only grow kind of playing for each other out in between the lines rather than just playing with each other. You know what I mean? There's, that's what Council loves to say is we play for each other, not just with each other. And staying connected includes getting to know people in ways that might not, you, you might not think of right away. Yeah, you're cultivating those relationships. I yeah. mean, that's, that's what stands the test of time. You know, how, how do people from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and countries, they come together and you stick them in a clubhouse mm-hmm. and you got 40 or 50 people at the big league level. And it's like, well, how do you function and be a family for seven months? You know, you every have to, single day, basically. every yeah. single day, like you're, you're on the bus with you're on the plane, you're sitting next to them, you're eating next to them. Like, and you see them more than your family. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have a certain way of 
understanding the person that's next to you, you know, and I think, you know, we've all had teammates that are unwilling to do that. And I think some of the better teams I've been on and the the teams and the teammates I love the most are the ones that just want to have a conversation and get to know people. And um, I, what I really loved about Suter in 2000, uh, what was it? Maybe 16. We were in uh, Oklahoma city and we had a great conversation, you know, and they've got the clubhouse in on it and we were just talking and, you know, it gives a, a safe space for people to ask questions or to say, this is what I believe. But at the end of the day, we hug each other. We love each other. And it makes you yep. a better ball club for it. And definitely better friends. What was it about? Will you guys say, or is it not, does it not matter? I, uh, I feel it was about Christian, like the Christian yeah. faith, right? Like perspectives we're on Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Religion, a yeah. nice, religion, easy, light yeah, clubhouse yeah. topic. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it stuck with me because honestly, as a Christian, I'm like, man, when is the last time I've had like this, you know, engaging conversation with, with other people about this. So it is very challenging. And you know, that, that's, that's what you want. You want to come into the clubhouse going, not only am I going to get better at baseball, but I'm going to make better friends and I'm going to, and I'm going to learn more about them. Brent, yeah. Brent I want to ask an environmental question because it, it is such a big part of your life. And do you ever, do you think you're making a difference? Do you feel good about the fact that the, the initiatives that you're working on, the, the amount of time you're spending using your platform to talk about this is making a difference because sometimes it just seems like such a big problem, a big issue that it's like, I, I don't know. Sometimes it's like, how, how, what, what can I do to, to fix this? Um, right. And it's such a big problem. Right. Um, Am I making a difference? Yes, technically, like because every every action we have has consequences. So every plastic bottle or everything we're saving is making a difference technically, because you know we're, we're all in the same this closed loop system. But is it a big enough difference to save what I hope is not happening, but what you know climate scientists are predicting is happening down the line? It's not enough. But um, trying to trying to get awareness spread and trying to get action going so that you know we can have the some type of revolution back to the kind of balance with nature uh, is what what I'd love to see, but Am I, am I changing the world? S- small, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're all, we all change the world in small ways, but uh, trying to trying to kind of, I look at it as like a germinating seed, like kind of plant the seed and just trying to keep feeding it, keep, you know, keep growing it of awareness, of action, of, uh, you know, just kind of consciousness of, of our environmental, you know, duties and, you know, what we want to leave to our kids. And hopefully that, you know, throws into a tree as, as corny as that metaphor might sound, but <laughs> hopefully it, it, you know, the seed grows and we, we start making some difference, you know, one, one action at a time, but, uh, definitely not enough. It's what I'm doing is not enough to solve, you know, save the world as my teammates like to say. <laughs> well, I mean, you're doing, you're doing, you're using your platform, right. To, to just let people know that it's out there. And that's the same yeah. with the book. You know, you're kind of, yeah. you're not beat over the head with it. You're saying, listen, it's simple. Just here's a reminder, and this yeah. is stuff that anybody can do and just keep to the forefront a little bit because a lot of times in life, especially in baseball, you get into your little shell, right? Mm-hmm. Life gets hard. You're worried about things going on. You start getting in your shell, and you start forgetting about the, everything that's around you and the people that are around you. So I applaud you for using your platform for something that you're passionate about. Nice. Thanks. Yeah, try, just trying. We're trying. Well, Brent, I'm going to let you go, man. This has been fantastic. Thanks for popping over from the clubhouse. Sorry we took so much of your time, but no, um, no, I'll no, probably no. see you at the field here soon, man. I Thank you so much for joining the Brewers Unfiltered podcast. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. All right. Like I said, that was the good stuff. That's Brent Suter. And, you know, there's always a good time to be had when you're talking to that guy because, I mean, he's just... Tim, he's 
got so much going on. That guy, you talk about not being one-dimensional. I think he's past eight-dimensional. The guy just has layers. He, husband, father, major league baseball player, uh, author, um, activist, the, activist, Harvard grad. We have to say that Harvard it's a grad, contractually yeah. obligated. We have to mention that, that would be on the side of my car. That's, <laughs> it'd be my bumper sticker. It'd be every shirt that I wear. Right. Um, Hello. I, I graduated from the most famous college university. <laughs> yeah. You grad. It's called university. I, I Harvard think that's a, oh, Harvard, pretty sure yeah. Harvard University. That means you put the pinky out when you say it. Oh, OK. Yeah. Like you're sipping tea all the time um, <laughs> or Dr. Evil. <laughs> He's a big pinky guy. No, but I, I think out of all that stuff, I think what makes Brent Suter so special is he's just a very personable human. He cares um, and he cultivates relationships for me and being his teammate for so long. It was it wasn't about baseball. It was about what what's the relationship like with him and other humans around him, you know, and it's a lot of times guys just, you know, glaze over to that humans glaze over to that. How many times are you going out looking for a friend, Very, you know, past the age of like 10, you just don't do that. And I feel like Brent Suter has a gift for that. And he makes friends everywhere he goes. I like that. He acknowledged that this year's not going the way he wants it to so far. Um, you know, he's a really important part of that bullpen, that kind of middle part um, sort of pitching with a lead in the sixth inning often. That is where games are so often won and lost, and he is not performing as well as he has in other seasons. And he acknowledged that and talked about, you know, how it's impacting him and what he's trying to do to get, get right. Um, I mean, these guys definitely care. In a social media age, it's really easy to just, like, react and get mad that someone's not performing. And, and we say this all the time and I still think people kind of forget, like these are human beings with lives and things happening and who are trying really hard to, to perform well. And I thought that part of it was pretty interesting because he kind of brought that up on his own, I thought, and um, talked about the impact it was having. So uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean, we were going to try to steer clear of that kind of stuff just because, you know, that we're going <laughs> to, we want people to come on this pod and, and we want to get to know them. And for him to kind of own up to that shows the maturity level. But at the same time, he knows it's baseball. And if you're in the, let's be honest, if you're not the eighth, ninth inning guy, you know, it's, you're either really good and you get forgotten about, or you're not good and everybody brings it up. So like, it's just a very thankless, you know, area down there where you're just in that middle ground of, you know, if I get one shot in four days and if I blow it, everybody, you know, seems to remember it. So it's a tough gig being a bullpen guy and having to mentally go out there and be ready at any moment. So for him to kind of recognize that and, you know, a lot of times just admitting that and and moving on is the best way to go because you have to have a short memory in that bullpen. Probably talking to us was the best medicine. Yes, I'm sure he's fine now. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I could think of a single thing that would be better for me than talking to you two. And that's why I need to take a break from it. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Brewers' recent cold streak a little bit more and how injuries have played a huge role into that. But good news, Brewers fans. Some of the big stars are about to return. We'll be right back. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. 
Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, we're back. Guys, we talked about the Brewers' tough stretch. We talked about, you know, the 18 games, how that's difficult. We talked about losing three or four at home to San Diego. But I think the thing that we haven't really connected the threads to yet is every year, not only does a team have a tough 18 game stretch, multiple stretches of this length, but they also deal with injuries. And I think the thing that's really hard for the Brewers right now is they're dealing with the pile of injuries and that stretch at the same time. So, Adam, I guess how much of that has really compounded to the recent cold streak that the Brewers are dealing with when you're looking at not just are they exhausted from not having a day off in forever, but also some of their biggest stars are on the I.L. Well, I think about what Brandon Woodruff said when he went onto the I.L. He said this injury itself isn't that big of a deal, but the timing is terrible because it came in. As we've said, 18 games in 17 days without a day off um, when Freddie Peralta is already down and all these other players are down. So it was just kind of bad timing for this bug to bite. And, you know, look, maybe all these games in a row contributed to it. Like those things are probably linked. Um, and here's how I, in my story, I sort of was thinking yesterday in the morning before the game about all the things that happened during that stretch. So I put it in my story yesterday, and it, I think it's just illustrative to like think about it again. Ad Willie Adamas was out for that entire stretch. During that 18 games and 17 days, they put Renfro, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, Omar Narvaez, Luis Perdomo, and Mike Brasso all on the injured list. They played at least three-game stretches without Hader, Josh Hader, when he was away with his wife, and Luis Urias, who's got that thumb issue. They had four pitchers make their Major League debuts, and they called up a catcher from A-ball, Alex Hall which was like one of the best days where Andrew McCutcheon snapped his cold streak and this kid comes up and was like so deadpan and hilarious about that whole experience. That's a lot when you put that all together for a team to deal with. And they come through at nine and nine and they remain in first place at 33 and 23. So um, they weathered the toughest stretch of their schedule. Now they've got these three games against the Phillies and then another three city road trip, which the guys are kind of like struggling to even comprehend, but then the rest of the, then, then they've cleared this really tough stretch. So I think that's what they need to look forward right now to see that they've gotten through the tough part and they weathered it. Okay. And now, as you said, they're about to get healthy, healthier. Right. right. And Tim, I think, you know, when you're looking at all these things compounding, like I look at, you know, from my job, when I look at things piling up on the schedule to do list, how, as it starts to become substantial, it can be a little demoralizing. So when you're a player and you're going through an 18 game stretch and you're watching all your friends go on the IL, what does that do to you mentally? I mean, it depends on, you know, it depends on what, where I'm at. <laughs> like <laughs> right. if I'm the bullpen guy, I'm like, okay, well I'm going to be pitching a bunch. So I need to make sure I'm prepared. Um, but I, I think what hurt the Brewers so much is it just was one thing. Like every day you show up in the clubhouse, it was another guy, you know, getting hurt or getting put on the IL. And for me, it was the moment that Narvaez, Narvaez was heating up. He was batting 391 in his last seven games. He, this is what made him an all-star last year. You're just seeing it happen in real time. And then boom, COVID. 
like, which is kind of the punchline for the last three years, right? Like, boom, COVID. <laughs> but you look, then it made me think, okay, well, what about uh, Hunter Renfro? Hunter Renfro in his last seven games before he got hurt with the quad, uh, he was batting 500. So it's like everybody that starts doing good, something happened. Like, that's kind of what you were looking at. Even Brasso, you know, was doing pretty well uh, coming off the bench and, you know, playing third at times. And, um, yeah, he, he went down. So Luis to me, Perdomo, too. Perdomo was Perdomo doing fantastic. Perdomo some huge in innings early in the trip. Yes. Yeah, he was doing and, and keeping, you know, the, the games close. So I think the problem is when it comes to a player, you're walking in, you're almost tiptoeing in the clubhouse like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, who is it today? And, you know, and that's, and that's not the right way to look at it, but it's hard not to. It's hard not to going, man, we're just – we're, with that that bug that Adam was talking about, it's just biting everybody, and you start trying to spray as much insecticide or whatever as you can find. They stay away from me. But yeah, I, I for me, just looking at it as a player side, it's just it's not really the injuries; it's just the timing, and it's the not having the guys there. And you talk about Willie Adams, like Willie Adams just not being there, even though he's on rehab assignment. Just him not being at the field during the game. Um, just shows his impact. You need guys like right. that. And good, and good news, it, Tuesday when most fans are listening to this, Adamus and Renfro should be back today. How big is that for a morale boost? Well, I mean, big. It's big from a baseball point of view. Um, if they perform, I mean, Willie Adamus homered in his final rehab game. That's got to be a big confidence boost for him. Saw some live pitching. Renfro saw Velo off the machine like early out there. So he's seen some velo. Um, I think, you know, the brewers are saying that they're going to run those guys through like last minute, some tests before making decisions. But the point was that they're close. And I think Urias is close too after getting three days off with that thumb that he'd been playing through for a while. And it just got to the point where he just, he said he would like hurt a lot. And then he'd go out in the field and it would kind of calm down. Well, in that last game, it hurt a lot. And then he went out in the field and it hurt a lot. And it was like impacting his defense. So all of those guys just needed a, a, some some time down to heal. And if they get all three back, I think that is an impact. But look, it's not going to be like probably not come back and hit three homers. It's going to take a little bit of time to ramp back up again. But I think what Tim's talking about, just psychologically, to feel like you're back at full strength. And then they go into another kind of tough stretch where the, the these three-city road trips take something out of you. So it'll help to have as many bodies back as possible. And I think the defense too, having Hunter Renfro in right field, I mean, that he has like what, four or five outfield assists already, you know, and having Adamas at shortstop where he can just pick up the ball and whiz a straight line across, like that kind of stuff matters. It matters for pitchers. When pitchers go out there, they feel more confident that guys are playing positions that they're used to playing and that those are the guys that they signed to play those positions. So um, when you start getting your secondary guys playing secondary positions and they're getting banged up, you can just recognize how hard of a stretch that was. But getting those guys back is going to be huge. I'm not lying. I, I want to blow out somewhere along the way here. I really want to see Hunter Renfro pitch. Like, <laughs> I would buy a ticket to see Hunter Renfro pitch. I, but I, they're not going to <laughs> allow him, unless he does the Brett Phillips where Brett Phillips snuck one in. Where they don't allow him to throw 97. That's true. That's true. So yeah, it would have, have to, to be like Hunter Renfro light. Ephus pitches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd still like to see it sometimes. Just like I always wanted to see Carlos Gomez play shortstop. He used to go yeah. out and take grounders at shortstop every day and like beg to play shortstop. And he never got to play shortstop. <laughs> 
you I know, remember, I remember one year in AAA, we had Alcides Escobar. He was our shortstop, and we were at a park that the the radar gun was left on. And we were getting <laughs> nice. done with batting practice, and he yelled at somebody to go back and catch behind the dish, and he got on the mound, and he was throwing like ninety four <laughs> at the end of batting practice, just kind of goofing off. And I thought, man, position players are just the best. They have the most flair. They get to hit. And they're just really good at pitching if they want to be, too. They have it all. <laughs> Didn't he once have awesome. 10 root canals in spring training, Tim? Who? Escobar. I think Esky. one year, like, the dentist came in and was like, ah, oh, you need a couple of root canals. So, like, every couple of days, he went off for a root canal. And it was, like, the worst spring training ever because he was constantly having root canals. I don't remember that. I remember he got called up in September of 2008, and we went to Philly. And he walked in the clubhouse with like 13 pairs of shoes, 13 <laughs> boxes of shoes. <laughs> and we, had, we were like already limited on lockers. So here I am. I think I was, you know, getting my uniform on in, in what seemed to be a locker made of shoe boxes. <laughs> a little privacy, a little privacy wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the return of some of these players, who's likely to lose some playing time with these guys returning, Adam? Well, I'll tell you when I talked to you the other night. Uh, is Lorenzo Kane, and you know I appreciate how candid he was in a you know a tough moment for him in a, in what's been a fantastic career. And you know, look that five year deal with the Brewers. There's been a lot of chatter like, has that been a good deal for the team? It's not. It's not produced the number of great seasons that they wanted. 2018 was special, and I I would argue you know look we talk about this. How do you measure on the field, off the field? his off-the-field contribution is, like, immeasurable. So count me in the camp of Lorenzo Cain being a really valuable member of this team for the entirety of his contract, even when he wasn't playing in 2020 and even when he's not playing well now. And he said that before that last road trip, Craig Council called him in, they had a good chat, uh, that his playing time was about to go down. Then they go to San Diego, and Hunter Renfro injures his hamstring, and Lorenzo Cain is playing, in his words, more than they probably want me to. So I think with Renfro coming back, Tyrone Taylor is really performing again. Every time the Brewers give Tyrone Taylor regular playing time, he performs. He's got to perform. Christian Yelich is going to play um, and, you know, get his days, but, but going to play. And Andrew McCutcheon is, is a guy that they are really counting on, and he's going to play. So Lorenzo Cain looks like the guy that most directly is going to be impacted by Hunter Renfro's return. And he knows it. He is in the cage, trying to figure something out. This is not the way he wants to play. He has had a, a great career. He's coming to the end of that career, and he does not want to go out in a bad way. So I don't know what to say other than after talking to him, he is clear-eyed about how he's performed, what his playing time looks like in the coming days and weeks, and he's trying to figure out a way to make the best of it. You know, we're about to come up on a series with the Phillies and the Nationals. Tim, as we head into this stretch against a few new opponents, uh, what are you looking forward to on these upcoming series? Looking forward to? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just watching some good baseball. I think when the Brewers are doing the best is when they're going out there and they're and they're doing things right, you know, playing the game the right way. I think they've had struggles recently with teams coming in and kind of looking at the situational awareness and making things happen, whether it's a a, a sacrifice bunt or maybe hitting against the shift. I started looking back at this last series with the Padres. Luke Voigt, who is not fast of foot, had three infield hits. And yeah. you start looking at the defense 
you know, and it's something that kind of gets lost in the fray when you're talking about defensive alignment. Um, but you're looking at uh, Trent Grisham, too, hitting the ball opposite field. So they've got a, a ton of hits on just dinking the ball around the infield away from defenders. So you start looking at how they're getting beat. Like, sure, there's a big home run in there, but what led to those moments? So I think, I think there has to be some sort of conversation of going, okay, how are we getting beat? How can we stop that? And uh, for me, I, I don't know why, but I just kind of <laughs> – Luke Voigt, after he got his third infield hit of the series, I was like, something's – something, you got to change something. And I don't know exactly what that is. Maybe it's your offense. Maybe it's your defense. But uh, teams that are winning are willing to do those situational awareness type uh, things at this point. Yeah, you always hear, like – especially I hear it from Bill a lot when he's talking about a comeback. But, like, the two doinks and a bomb – and that's what always seemed to happen in the Padres series was it was like two guys get on on like 40 mile per hour exit velocity and make it on because the ball just happens to find the perfect position for them to make it in. And then a bomb, you know, it happened against Suter. It happened uh, against Lauer. It, it just was some bad luck. And uh, especially when those I think before this stretch, the teams have been or the team has been able to really get those bombs I guess in the right place like solo shots and this series it seemed like teams were getting success against the weak spots in the Brewers defense whether it's because it was against the shift or what have you and then finally getting those homers with guys on base well, that's what I mean. That's baseball, and that's what the Brewers. The Brewers' offense is not murderers' row. That's when they've won games. That's what they've done too. They, you know, they've not like bludgeoned teams this season. They've had really good pitching, and then they've had timely rallies to to and just enough to win a game. And I, you know, the one win in the Padres series was the example of that, where a couple really good at bats, Jace Peterson gets a huge hit, and then Andrew McCutcheon gets a big hit to snap an O for thirty two. So. That's that's the name of the game, and I think the Brewers have been that kind of a team so far, and they'd love to get these guys back now and string together some games where you like where you, you know, it'd be nice to bludgeon a team once in a while and give Eric Lauer and everybody a chance to take a breath, give the pitchers a chance to take a breath. Old baseball, that's a walk off grand slam. Well, like old baseball, I think is coming back a little bit. It is. Oh, you, I wasn't even talking about old timey baseball. I was talking about the old physical presence of the baseball, but I think the new baseball is bringing back old baseball, right? (laughs) I, yeah. I mean, bunt hits situational. I think teams need to start thinking about, you know, the brewers don't, they don't bunt much at all. I think you need to start thinking about whether you, you know, with the nature of the, and it's, it's hard because it seems like it changes kind of game to game, week to week. But I, 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 you just see other teams sort of, it looks like they're making adjustments and the Padres stand out to me. Like Trent yeah. Grisham dropped some big bunts. Cardinals did it too. Yeah. I, and, and you're watching what they're doing and you have to watch some of the other games too, to kind of get an idea for how teams are playing. Yeah. And I think for whatever reason, they've, you know, every, instead of everyone trying to hit a home run, some of these teams that are winning are deciding, you know what, we're going to bloop a ball away from the shift. And that right there is just situational awareness. I know it doesn't look really cool. And is it going to make a highlight? no, but when you start playing baseball that way, when you're getting guys over after a leadoff double and you're hitting a, you know, jumping across home plate to pull a ball to first base to get the guy to third, for whatever reason, that puts pressure on the next guy. So 
when they had a leadoff double, I think Trent Grisham bunted to get a guy to third base. And I think Cronenworth, was it Cronenworth hit that home run or maybe Luke Voigt? But whoever went up there and hit that home run in like game two or three, he walks up there and it's a free pass because the guy in front of you did his job to get the man to third. And your only job is to see how far you can hit the ball to get the runner in in a close game. And if you mess up and hit a home run, that's a bonus. And that's what ended up happening for the Padres. So it's not always that home run. It's everything that led to that moment and what guys did. If you go up there and you can't get the guy over, and then the next guy can't get the guy over or get the guy in, then you're coming up with a man on second and two outs, and there's so much pressure on that hitter. What you want to do as a hitter is to alleviate the pressure from the guy that comes after you. So that right there is situational awareness. I don't want to call it small ball because that seems whatever, but teams that are winning right now, that is exactly what they're doing. And then on top of that, I think you look at, we talked to the guys in the past or Adam specifically when he's doing his stories, we've heard from guys like McCutcheon say, you watch the guy in front of you do it. And you're like, Oh, I want to go do that. And it gets the, the players excited yeah. to participate. So when you see the guy in front of you have success, even if it's just in at bat, it gets you excited about the success you can then have. So it's, it's not just that situational success. It's also the like mental motivation that comes with it. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not like I'm, accountability is what, what I would use as a hitter. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, Adam. No, I was just going to say, for me, I'm not saying like small ball is it and a team, you know, the Brewers should start bunting like crazy. I'm just saying that you just see it sneaking back into the game a little bit more as a reaction to the current conditions of the sport. And it's yeah. the great pitching and it, the nature of the baseballs from game to game. So we have not seen the Brewers do much of it, but I, but I think we've seen other teams do it. And I'm, I'm curious whether we see any of that. Um, with the personnel that they have. I think it comes, I think it, the, you'll see it. I think the Brewers are going to sit there. You have to reflect, okay, how did we lose these games? What did it look like? And I think they're going to sit there and see what these te- other teams are doing and they have to make a decision and they have to start going, okay, we're going to have to have a conversation because teams don't just do stuff like this. The Cardinal series in St. Louis, teams don't just all of a sudden start doing that. They're hitting and running. Who hits and runs anymore, Right. So there had to have been a conversation. I think there's a Brewers conversation coming. Well, in case you're wondering, Adam McKelvey's trying to get his I Love Bunting merch on a Brewers Unfiltered <laughs> website. We're having some... We'll have stickers. We're, oh, we're trying to get it together for Don't him. Don't uh, there, There's some issues with MLB licensing. So we're going to try to get this figured out during the break. When we return, we're going to pick our favorite moments of May. So stay tuned. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, it's our first episode in the month of June, which means it's the perfect time to look back at the month of May. So we're going to do our rapid round to end things here on the pod. And Adam, I'm going to start with you. Who's your MVP for the month of May? Well, no surprise for me. I'm going to go Corbin Burns. He was their most valuable pitcher in uh, the month of May. Not surprising. 39 innings, uh, strikeouts per nine better than 10, 208 ERA. Excellent as usual, and we spent a lot of time in this pod talking about all their personnel losses, including 
Freddie Peralta and Brandon Woodruff. Corbin Burns needed to be Corbin Burns, and he was. Um, and just a, a another fantastic month for him. What about you, Tim? Who's your MVP for May? Yeah, um, I, I got to go Tyrone Taylor only because, I mean, obviously Corbin Burns. And you could probably say a, a slew of you know other pitchers possibly. But for me, Tyrone Taylor having to kind of step up when all the injuries started happening. And if I read this correctly, he had 21 RBIs in May. Batted 279, had six homers, four doubles. Uh, and also the defense, I think... You know, you want to see what guys do when they get an opportunity, but this was out of necessity. Like you have to play, and there's a reason they went nine and nine on those 18 games in 17 days, and it could have been a lot worse. And the reason for that was Tyrone Taylor. For my May VP, I go with because you know Adam Hogg the star. So I'm going to go with a guy I think had the next most important contribution, which was Aaron Ashby. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had one bad performance against Atlanta, gives up the six runs, but otherwise in May was just phenomenal. And I think what I always think back to as being a very important moment in keeping the team successful in the month of May was his four inning appearance in Miami, where he four perfect innings with eight strikeouts was just an astoundingly good performance for Aaron Ashby to come out and have especially the bullpen at that point needed a day off. I think they need a day off much more now than they did then. But then he comes out and has two fantastic starts against San Diego, against Chicago, the 12 strikeout game against Chicago, one strikeout short of tying a record already tied by Eric Lauer for a Brewers lefties with strikeouts in a start. Uh, You know, he's been, we've talked about him a lot. A lot of people have talked about him a lot as being a guy very important to the team's success because he's going to be that flex guy. Injuries came up, he stepped in, he came up big for the team. Uh, over that stretch so he's my MVP for the month of May uh, and I, I'm the I'm the most right when it comes to that now Adam what's your favorite well, you also moment get the May? last word so you, you got, yeah. yeah May VP I like May VP. the great thing about being the the host the talking host who leads into all the questions is you get to decide the truth so yeah it's, not it's a lie good if you believe it's good. it yeah uh, okay, moment of May for me was the the uh, the series of games. I guess pick one, pick your favorite. Devin Williams stepping in for Josh Hader in uh, San Diego was very very big. Um, Josh Hader did what he needed to do. The team backed him at a time where he needed to be home. And what what does a team do? It steps up. And I thought it was really cool that Devin Williams, for the first time in his career, pitched back-to-back-to-back. Tommy John guy, a guy who puts some stress on his arm when he pitches, long outings, you know, throws a lot of pitches in some of those games. But he was able to do it three days in a row against a a very good Padres team. That was a big series for the the Brewers. And it look, it set up the rest of the road trip um, where they could finish it on a low point and still come away with a 500 road trip. So I thought that was a very cool moment in the career of Devin Williams and in the story of this particular Brewers team. That was exactly the moment I was going to say, because that right there, it has to be because that's a big moment for a player just in general, because you don't know you can do it until you try. And I said this in real time on the, on the TV broadcast side of it, Devin Williams wouldn't have been out there if he didn't want to be out there guaranteed. Hey, you think you can go today? Or he said, hey, I want to go today. If my spot comes up, I want to be out there. And then the other moment that coincides with that, 
is Josh Hader getting two saves in one day. That's just so cool. I mean, that's just cool on a different level. And uh, anyway, that kind of back end stuff, because the whole game can play out in a certain way. And if you don't have those two guys there in those moments across that um, that road trip, it, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the same. Well, you're both wrong again. It's the Kesson Hero walk off. <laughs> when he was sick as a dog zero (laughs) percent you know Keston Hira hitting a bomb off the scoreboard uh after coming back up and uh winning the game for the crew after all the things he's gone through that was great to see so that was hands down the best moment of may uh, maybe you'll get it right next month in june okay we'll keep trying we'll keep trying Yeah. yeah we'll try tomorrow I mean, actually today for a lot of the people listening is Bark at the Park. Tim, we all know you're a a pop culture connoisseur. Who's your favorite all-time fictional dog? Favorite all? I mean, it's hard. I have different ones. So it's going to be Hercules from Sandlot, just because all that dog wanted was to be untethered and wanted friends <laughs> yeah let tim dillard free and he, he, he understood baseball yeah I, I was like man i can totally relate to hercules who's the villain right in this story um but i wrote down a whole bunch too because i like the simpsons as well so santa's little helper that's oh really that's good, such a good it's a really good dog uh but then i go back to like my young childhood and watching the commercials the the spud mckenzie right from budweiser I don't know why that was a popular one, but I just love Spud McKenzie. I was like, it's a surfing dog. Like everybody wants their dog to surf. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's, I think I have several others. Slinky dog from Toy Story. I feel like he, you know, hey, Woody. Yeah. So I don't know. Those are a few. Rest in peace, Ernest. Yeah. Adam, as you hold a cat in your lap, <laughs> who is your favorite <laughs> fictional dog? <laughs> Did you <laughs> Did you really have to call me out on that? <laughs> oh, God, Zach. Zach is on my lap. He's going to be mad. I'm going to cover his ears. Um, this is such a cheesy answer. I don't even want to say it, but I was there the day he walked up to Maryvale to butch the security guard, who's one of our buddies who keeps us you know, in check in Maryvale. Hank is an awesome dog. People are going to make fun of me for saying Hank, like I'm pandering. I'm really not. Hank is an awesome dog. And that summer when he showed, or the spring when he showed up in Maryvale was like legitimately really cool. And it was very organic. And it like was just one of these things that happened. And Ed Cedar fed him bacon. It's just like <laughs> the sweetest dog. And people can just go ahead and make fun of me for saying that. But I, I love Hank. Ed Cedars fed me bacon before, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Hank, Hank's a great dog. Hank was a plant. No, stop, Bradley. I, you said fictional dog. Hank's real? I think my favorite thing about Hank is the... Uh, Hank is very real. I've met Hank. But all the conspiracy theories so that have for dumb. some reason come along with a dog. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, but... Oh yeah, okay. I'm going to get a lot. Of, I think I feel like I feel like I'm setting myself up just to get crushed. But my I don't favorite care. great tweet. All right. So my favorite pop culture dog. Whew, this is rough because there are so many great ones and you do feel like a mark. Like, am I going to say Lassie? And then like, oh, he just went with the Superman or Captain America. The dogs. That's boring. 
so it's it's really di difficult, but my favorite one growing up was the dogs from Oliver and Company, specifically the leader who dances on all the cars, the cartoon dog. You know, why should I worry? No idea what you're talking about. It, it's it's no. I got nothing on that. Sorry. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Sucks what that to is. suck because you guys were wrong again. It's <laughs> it's the fictional cartoon dog from Oliver and Company, and <laughs> oh, you man. know. Uh, not only are they wrong in trivia, but they're wrong in opinions. I can't believe so, none of us said Brian Griffin from Family Guys. Like, you I know, wrote down like, Brian enjoys Griffin. a nice martini. Yeah. He should be our guy. Well spoken <laughs> yeah. for a dog. A what about Shadow? What about Shadow and Chance from Homeward Bound: The Incredible Journey? I had that VHS. Oh. Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, Chance Michael J. Fox was a great dog. Maybe I'll switch. How about the dogs from Where the Red Fern Grows that made us ball our eyes out in first grade? Um, yep, never saw it. Well, I think it's maybe it's a movie, but it was a book. I, I'm sure it's a movie too, but I definitely read it. And it was one of the first books that really hit emotionally heavy. Yes. It's it's the old yeller of books. Oh, Tim, you gotta pick that up. Where the Red you, Fern Goes. Good first if grade there's reading. There's one thing that y'all know about me is I do not read. <laughs> <laughs> I can oh. read, I choose not to. It's well, a let's <laughs> don't lie and say you can read. Tim, what about, just the, you're, <laughs> what about the Milwaukee Brewers at 50? Yeah, I've read uh, that's the last book I've read Adam, and the Binky twice. Bandit to bring oh, it I full actually, circle. Does that count? Does that count as like okay, pass? I've read tons of kids' books <laughs> to my kids. I'm just talking about reading for fun for me. If I have time i'm not reading for fun for me <laughs> you're reading scouting reports <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. my favorite fictional dog is the fictional version of wally the dog from binky uh, bandit yeah. in the book that's out right now from brent Suter, who started off the podcast and that's all the time we have thank you as always for listening don't forget to follow our hosts you can find tim dillard at dim tillard on twitter and instagram you can look for adam McCalvey at adam McCalvey on twitter instagram at facebook Catch Tim Dillard on Bally Sports Wisconsin pre- and post-game show. Catch Adam McAlvey's great work at Brewers.com. Of course, you better be following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And we'll see you next week after the Brewers go 6-0. and